Hello, my name's Joanna Bailey. And I'm Tom Boone. Welcome to the newest episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up in today's show, I'll find out what's going on with Berlin's new airport, and Joe will give us an update on where the Boeing 737 MAX testing program has got to. Tom will take a look at how history was made by an El Al Boeing 737 on Monday, and I'll talk about some new issues with a handful of Boeing 787 Dreamliners. Finally, we'll discuss a very old plane that just won't retire. So, now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. So, I wanted to shake things up a bit this week and start um, myself for a change. (laughs) Hooray! Um, So... Yeah, I wanted to talk about Berlin's new Brandenburg Airport, which has been ready to open for 10 years now. Um, <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I I actually think that um, it w- there's a good chance it will open this, um, this, this year, this time around, um, because the number of steps that are now being motioned, it's just, it's all building up to... Um, opening the airport and it's more than we've ever had previously so um two or three weeks ago um the site was secured which meant that um people went around they checked all of the little crevices all of the cupboards um (laughs) any little manholes checking for um tools that might have been left behind accidentally or maliciously by workers and um, anything like that and only the security personnel were allowed to access the site for this week i think they were doing it and now that the site has been secured um it's like a normal airport in terms of access so everybody's got to go through security everybody's got to have an id card um mm. so in Sounds terms like it's of ready to open yeah Probably in terms this of, time <laughs> yeah in terms of security standpoint it's um functioning like an airport now and um i think just last week we had um fire safety exercises taking place at the airport so this essentially meant that um, there were no real fires thankfully but um the fire brigade were um, made to respond to an imaginary train fire and um berlin airport is unique in germany um i read in that it's the only airport that has a train line running under the main terminal oh um so because of this, um, they had to fight this imaginary train fire in the tunnel under the terminal. Cool. Um, obviously, there were a decent number of participants in these trials because they were also evacuating, um, testing the evacuation systems. But because of COVID-19, there weren't quite as many um, sort of participants in the trials as they'd hoped yeah, you can't um, have people all crowding yeah. together, I guess, can you? Unfortunately not. Um, so the fire evacuation exercises were completed. And we also heard a bit more about how the airport is going to actually fit into the sort of big master plan, if that makes sense. So <laughs> for the longest time, we've known that this is going to be Berlin's Brandenburg Airport with yeah. the code BER, B-E-W-B-E. Even um, and uh, Tegel Airport to the north of the uh, city is going to close. Okay. 
But what happens to Schoenfeld? Um, obviously, your favourite airport in terms of airline lounges, if I'm yeah, right, Joe. No, can't stand it. <laughs> <laughs> it should be demolished as far as I'm concerned. But well, that's just personal opinion. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to demolish it. Instead, it's going to be absorbed by the new Berlin airport. So um, starting on October the 25th, when IATA switches over to their winter schedule, um, or winter season, then um, it, Schoenfeld, which has currently uh, got the code SXF, Sierra X-Ray Foxtrot, um, will be absorbed by Berlin Brandenburg. Mm. Um, so it will take the code BER because um, obviously the two facilities are going to be sharing a runway and you can imagine all sorts of confusion is going to be caused if the same runway belongs to two different airports. Yeah. Um, and what is um, currently Schoenfeld Airport will become Berlin Brandenburg Airport Terminal Five. Oh right. Um, and it's I think it's going to be a bit like um, Heathrow in terms of it's got five terminals as far as the numbers are concerned, but as far as the number of terminals is concerned, that's not the case. Right. Um, because obviously the terminal that's going to open is um, going to be Terminal One. Uh, possibly Terminal 2 as well. I'm not sure about that, but um, okay. I believe Terminal 3 and 4 uh, won't be present at the opening. I guess that they might be added on later or something. Yeah, it's just, it's an interesting one that they have, like they, they're not adding the numbers um, later because then you, if you've got 1, 2 and 5, it's a bit more confusing than one, <laughs> two and three because you think where are three and four? But. but I think, well, correct me if I'm wrong, I would assume that Terminal 5 is going to become the low-cost hub um, given the, so. the quality of the facilities there. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I've maybe they, they just have... want to make sure that that one's always got the lowest number so that uh, the more premium airlines can move into one and two and the kind of mid-range ones get the three and four that's coming later and uh, mm, all the cheap and cheerful that. ones stay in Terminal 5. <laughs> you say that, but then at the same time, um, Terminal 5 at Heathrow is... Um, in my opinion, one of the nicer terminals. Yeah, but that was added on later and that was kind mm. of... I don't think Heathrow really has a low-cost hub because no low-cost can really afford to fly out of there at all. So uh, I think their mm. low-cost hub is London Luton, isn't it? <laughs> I would say Stansted, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, mm. it'll be good to see it opening, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I do hope that uh, people transit it or people flying from uh, the new Berlin airport will be allowed to use the lounge in the new terminal, even if yeah. they're flying from Terminal 5. <laughs> I imagine, given the distance between the two, that won't be the case, unfortunately, um, because uh -huh. there's, a, there's a runway in between the two, which is um, the first problem. But, um, I mean, again, it does look like they are going to open the um, because um, Berlin last week said that sort of the grand opening we'll see um lufthansa and easyjet landing on the parallel runways together all right um, so Exciting. that's currently planned for the 31st of october so watch this space um do I'm we have hoping, an invite yeah we do i'm hoping to um be there on behalf of us Awesome. Well, so, as long as there's no further German lockdowns or anything crazy going on at that time, then uh, mm. hopefully we'll have some lovely exclusive photos and videos. Mm. 
So watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Instead of you'll have to wait and see. <laughs> watch this space. Mm. Your new catchphrase for September, is it, Tom? <laughs> Perhaps. We'll see. New month, you'll have new to catchphrase. Wait and see. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it came back. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, moving on from uh, what's going on in Berlin, I thought it might be nice to have a quick look at what's going on with the 737 MAX. We're determined not to spend the whole episode talking about coronavirus or even mentioning it more than a couple of times. So, um, the other big news, of course, is that uh, the 737 MAX has been undergoing um, some fairly intensive flight tests. So, I believe on the last episode, we talked about um, Enter Air placing a new order for the MAX, which was exciting. Um, but now, of course, the testing program to get it back in the skies is moving along at a fair clip, I'd say. Um, so the FAA, um, the American regulator, they wrapped up their flight testing in early August. Um, and then next in the queue was Transport Canada. And they flight tested it last week. They only did a few days of flight tests. And uh, that all kind of wrapped up on the 29th. 9th of August. So obviously, we still need to find out the outcome. They need to kind of assess all the data and everything. But they were the first non-US regulator to flight test the 737 MAX. Um, and before they'd even finished, <laughs> EASA, who is the European regulator, stuck their hand up and said, we're ready, we're going to start testing it as well. So their flight tests are scheduled for next week, um, starting on the 7th, I believe. And this week, they've actually begun their simulator testing at London Gatwick ahead of the, the uh, real world flight tests. Um, but interestingly, the, um, the flight tests themselves are going to be happening in Vancouver. Um, and I think maybe it must be something to do with um, the coronavirus restrictions on travel or well, or something. I don't really understand what, why. But uh, What I'm thinking is because they're, they're using this one 737 MAX um, 7 to do the yeah. testing. Um, I mean, perhaps it's just not worth it for them to fly this thing over the Atlantic because obviously it's uncertified by... Um, all of these parties at the moment, true, you true. probably don't want um, extended um, two-engine operations. Yeah, no, that's, water, that's absolutely a very good point, Tom. And uh, it wouldn't be worth bringing one out of storage in uh, in Europe, I guess, yeah, to fly I mean, it. So. They're, they're all like the Max 8 as well, I think, and that's not yeah. the one they're testing. But, um, Seems do you know a bit why odd they're testing the 7 when yeah. most of the ones in the world are the Max 8. But uh, hmm. I guess everything is the same apart from just the length of the aircraft. So I did read something that... Um, the Max 7 was actually going to be the most susceptible to this problem, which is why oh. they're um, testing it. But don't quote me on that because um, I'm not sure of the source. <laughs> That's interesting. Might be one to mm. have a look into. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm guessing that their flight tests will take about the same amount of time as uh, uh, Transport Canada's did. So probably, you know, just for a few days next week, really. And there's um, the Joint Operations Evaluation Board, or JOB. I think they're, they're like the guys that set the um, airworthiness directive kind of, you know, on, on what their prerequisites are for it rejoining the fleet in Europe. They're going to be meeting in the week beginning September the 14th. So by then we should know kind of what those two big non-US regulators actually think of the MAX and whether it is coming back soon. Um, and you've got to imagine that with all the work they've done on it and all the scrutiny it's had, it is going to be coming back. There's not going to be another issue. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it will be cool to see. Um, 
And we've not heard that any other regulators want to test it. I know there was talk about the Australian regulator mm. um, uh, and potentially even the Indian one as well. But I don't know. Nobody else has thrown their hat in the ring and said that they want to begin testing it. So maybe they will just take what these three big regulators say and kind of yeah. follow along in their I own kind way. I feel like where the reason they wanted to test it was because they wanted to be independent of the FAA yeah. um, this time around. But um, obviously the CAA and uh, Transport Canada are independent yeah. of the FAA. So maybe um, their word will be good enough to base other things off of. Yeah. And what we're really watching to see, of course, is whether Boeing's going to rename the plane. Mm. <laughs> this has been the buzz this week because, um, you know, Trump suggested it uh, like a year Ages ago. ago. Yeah. yeah. He said it just needed a rebrand. That would solve all its problems. And Obviously, it needed seen, a little more than that. But uh, We've seen several airlines in the meantime sort of appear to remove the name, but then they are either backtrack on it saying this isn't true or yeah um because um, yeah i mean the enter air one was um that was kind of you know when when boeing mentioned it it was the 737-8 which would follow along with boeing's other kind of naming schemes um Mm. but then you need a family name as well so well i don't know because you don't you don't call the the um the current family that's flying the NG. If you went yeah. up to anybody, nobody would call it the NG. So no, true. I can kind of see why, but um, it was interesting. Yeah, the only time that Max was mentioned in the whole press release was in the statement from the CEO of Enterair. So. Yeah. <laughs> You're not supposed to say that, mister, says Boeing yeah. from behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah. I, I but guess we had a few maybe... readers su- suggest that maybe they should rename the family the FG or final generation because uh, <laughs> hopefully <laughs> this is enough of the, the old 737 and we need a clean sheet design next time, please, Boeing. <laughs> well, I wouldn't like to comment on that, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in other 737 news, Tom, what's been going on in the Middle East? So, yeah, um, yesterday, as we're recording this on Tuesday, so on Monday for everyone listening, um, history was made by El Al because they became the first Israeli carrier to fly to the United Arab Emirates. Um, Obviously, I think two or three weeks ago, we were discussing how the two sides signed this deal saying that they'd recognize each other and um, wanted to work together on things. so the sort of point of the flight was to um, carry diplomats out to the UAE to facilitate talks on exactly what this agreement between the two parties is going to mean. Yeah. Um, so on board, there were diplomats from Israel, diplomats from the US, um, journalists, and um, of course, secret service from both the US and um, Israel. So this really mm. was... A secure flight because as well as the secret service you know all of um LL's aircraft are fitted with anti-missile systems cool <laughs> um, making them the only airline i think that a uh, commercial airline that does that but um so yeah back to the flight this um aircraft registered um for x-ray echo hotel delta is five and a half years old um as it was delivered to um Elal in march 2015 so at 11.21, um, the aircraft departed from Tel Aviv as flight Lima Yankee 971. 
so it was about eight minutes behind schedule, but that's not the end of the world given some of the delays that we report about. Um, <laughs> but what was interesting was that the flight seemed to get delayed en route because despite only leaving eight minutes late, it landed 33 minutes late into mm. Abu Dhabi. Um, but I think obviously the flight itself was historic because it was the first time an Israeli flight uh, plane had landed in the UAE. But as historic um, as the flight itself, I think, was the fact that the aircraft overflew Saudi Arabian airspace because um, you, if you're flying to or from Israel, you need special permission to use the airspace over Saudi Arabia. Um, oh. In March 2018, for example, um, Air India got um, this permission for flights between Israel and India. But um, when we were discussing the deal two weeks back, I think, um, Israel's CEO, Israel is another airline in Israel, um, their CEO mentioned at the time that they wanted to establish services to the UAE, but he mentioned that no Israeli airline has previously managed to secure overflight permissions. Yeah. So the fact that this flight was given um, overflight permission by Abu Dhabi, I think, is a nod perhaps that it's uh, not by Abu Dhabi, by Saudi Arabia, yeah. is a nod that perhaps there's more to come, I guess. Um, I hope so, because we were, uh, I think it was Chris, one of our journalists, was doing hmm. a bit of analysis on how they would make the flights between uh, the UAE and Israel if that permission wasn't given. And because they've got to avoid so much airspace, you know, it would end up being like an eight-hour trip. Yeah. It, and it would completely write off using any sort of narrow bodies or you yeah. know, smaller planes to do the flights. So they really yeah, well, do I need mean, to secure that ongoing if it's going to be a commercially viable route long term you know i thought it was interesting as well because previously we've talked about um like um when etihad operated its historic flights to israel um they they're much more friendly with um, saudi arabia than uh, israel is as far as i'm aware <laughs> yeah. um, but even when they operated these flights they had to go all the way up um around the top through turkey so oh right yeah um it's an interesting one. It's it will be interesting to see how it plays out because it would be great to see a, a permanent, you know, efficient mm. connection there. But I don't think anybody wants to fly sort of eight hours to get just across the other side of the Middle East. But um, So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely one to watch. And um, hopefully we will see um, regular services between the two sooner rather than later. Awesome. Oh, thanks for that, Tom. That's really interesting. So moving on, I wanted to mention um, some issues that have been thrown up with the um, other Boeing <laughs> flagship okay. aircraft, the 787 on, Dreamliner. <laughs> so I don't mean to have a Boeing bashing day. I'll, I'll try and have a go at Airbus next week, I promise. But <laughs> it just so happened that... Um, Boeing had instructed some of its airline customers to pull their Dreamliners from service immediately. Now, it wasn't a lot of Dreamliners. It was eight aircraft in total, um, all recently built over concern about a manufacturing issue. Um, and it was simple flying friend John Ostroer from the Air Current that said that kind of broke this news. Um, and in his piece, he said that according to an unnamed source, an area of the structure in the rear of the aircraft is unable to withstand the maximum stress that would be experienced by the aircraft in service and could fail. 
Now, I'll just let that sink in for a minute because that's like terrifying, actually. I think mm. the, the wording used there, you know, that it could fail. Um, obviously, like I say, it was only eight Dreamliners that had to be pulled from service and uh, they didn't name the tail numbers or anything because that would just put the wind up people. But we did mm. know that the affected airlines included United, Air Canada and Singapore Airlines. Um, so do we know when, when this was... Um told to the airlines um it was i mean it kind of all came out last week um i mean perhaps it's worth just seeing all of these airlines if eight seven eight sevens have just stopped flying recently <laughs> well uh, unfortunately i think an awful lot of seven eight sevens are maybe not flying and uh, mm. it would probably be difficult to assume which ones it is from that but um mm. so on the on the issue um it relates to a mating point inside the rear fuselage. So the, the Dreamline is kind of made up of big carbon fiber barrels um, that are, are kind of connected together. And these particular two sections meet at a bulkhead and they cap the pressurized section of the cabin. Um, and naturally within the kind of manufacturing process, there's there's gaps at the join. Um, and Boeing has very successfully throughout the construction of this aircraft used shims to fill the gaps. Um, and there's robotic, very technolo technological robotic scanning in place to ensure that they're adequately filled and to find any kind of microscopic gaps. Um, and in the case of these eight grounded aircraft, the gaps were not properly dealt with. There was incorrect placement of the shims, which meant stress on the air frame would be unevenly distributed. Um, though John Ostro has said that on, the, on its own, this wouldn't have been a massive issue. There was another issue with these particular parts of the, of the fuselage and the carbon fibre inner skin had been manufactured less smooth than it should be. And these two things combined, you know, the, the properly infilled gaps and the, um, the kind of rough surface of the inner skin significantly weakened the structural integrity of the fuselage. So, you know, this is really not great news for Boeing and, and it's... Um, yeah. It's coming out of Charleston again, and I don't want to point fingers because they've, they've got enough problems at the moment. But all of this part of the manufacture of the Dreamliner happens at the Charleston plant, although mm. they, the planes may end up going on to final assembly at either the one in Charleston or the other one up at Everett. Um, yeah. But, you know, Boeing's been talking about consolidating all its Dreamliner production to Charleston. So the Everett final assembly line would be entirely removed from the programme. Um, but this is not the t first time that Charleston's come under scrutiny for the quali quality of their aircraft builds. So I don't know if you remember, I think it was last year, um, Qatar Airways went so far as to reject an aircraft that was delivered from that plant, stating it was not up to the standards they expect from Boeing. Okay. And I know that... Um, Within the um, the kind of 737 Max debacle, there was some scrutiny of the Dreamliner production at that plant um, because yeah. there, there had been issues with foreign object debris left inside the planes when they were delivered. And mm. there's just this kind of cultural issue that people are under so much pressure to get the planes out, or they were, they were kind of cutting corners, if you like. Yeah. Um, so obviously it's all being dealt with. Um, Boeing's reportedly notified the FAA about the issue, and they stated that they have reviewed the rest of the in-service fleet and determined that they're all able to meet limit load cap capabilities. So, yeah. um, And apparently it's not huge work to get these planes back to airworthy standard. The remedial well, work good. will take about two weeks. So it's oh, so not, it's not a, like... 
the severity of the pickle fork thing on the 737s that we saw. No, exactly, exactly. Okay. It's not a huge, massive deal. It's just yeah. these little small signals, and it's not what Boeing needs right now. Like I said, they've got enough on their plate, really, haven't they? Mm. And uh, to kind of get another bit of doubt thrown over um, what's going on internally is uh, is not helpful at the moment. But yeah. hopefully this will all be resolved and uh, we can move on. And maybe going forwards, now that the pressure's off kind of churning out aircraft as quickly as they can, they yeah. can get back to focusing on quality <laughs> rather than quantity. Well, <laughs> watch this space. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I, I don't like. Like I say, I'm really not meaning to do Boeing bashing today, and I, I will try and find some faults with Airbus next week, or perhaps even Embraer. Who knows? But uh, while we're on the subject of uh, planes, as we tend to on this podcast, <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about a really old plane, um, and actually quite a lot of old planes. Um, so we heard last week that an aircraft had skidded off the runway. Colombia. Mm. Um, the plane belonged to a little airline called uh, Alianza Aerolinias Andinius. I don't know if I've said that right, but I'm just going to call them Alianza from now say on. say that five times quickly for me, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it came off the runway at George Enrique Gonzalez Torres Airport in San Jose de Guadalajara. I can't even... Just in Colombia, okay, people? Um, but the really interesting thing about this um, runway excursion was that it was a Douglas DC-3. And it was born in 1946, which makes it older than my mother, <laughs> which is saying something. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> it had 13 travellers on board, so it was being used for passenger service. And I was just so surprised that one of these old aircraft is still in commercial service. I thought it would be uh, kind of interesting to take a look and see if there's any more of them, actually. Um, it was a really popular aircraft before the Second World War. And uh, it, it's kind of been given the crown of having won the Second World War for the Americans. You know, there, there were some 11,000 of them churned out before and during the war. Um, obviously, some of them flew as the C-47 or the Dakota. Um, but the DC-3 was, you know, first First and foremost, a passenger aircraft, and it was a cracking little aircraft as well. It could land anywhere, and it was just kind of a really robust, really reliable sort of plane. Um, and, you know, most of them are 80 years old plus now, and you'd think they'd have been retired, but... I did a little digging and I found a lovely man called Michael Prophet, um, who is a member of the DC-3 Appreciation Society. Um, and he sent me some research by his friend, Coat Monk, um, who has kind of noted down all the tail numbers of all the DC-3s that are left in operation. And he said there's an estimated 172 DC-3s in all variants that are flying on a regular basis. That's loads. <laughs> it's probably more than there are um, Dreamliners flying right now. Um, <laughs> So this it does include the military variants, which obviously there were a lot more of, um, as well as those that were being used commercially. And most of them these days are used for cargo movements and kind of moving cargo in and out of awkward places. Um, the bulk of the operational DC-3 fleet is in North America, as you'd expect. So there's 86 registrations thought to be in the US and another 23 in Canada. 
Um, Australia's got seven of them. South Africa's got somewhere between eight and 11. They weren't too sure on that. Um, here in the UK, we've just got four. Um, but Colombia, which obviously is home to Alianza, has 16 of them. Um, and like I say, mostly they're used for moving cargo around. But the fact that there were 13 passengers on board this one that came off the runway suggests that there are kind of some special charter flights and bits and pieces going on that where people can still fly these amazing birds. So uh, I'm off to Colombia. I don't know about you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I, I saw one um, three years ago when I was working at Van Nuys Airport. Um, it was being operated by Breitling at the time. Um, and they were flying it around the world. Cool. Um, so I think they started in Europe. And so the US would have been about halfway round. But um, that was quite a sight to see. I just Googled the registration and that one, unfortunately, hasn't flown since March 2019. Ah. Um, but it's it's... I remember seeing it and I was just like, what is this? Like, this flies? <laughs> this yeah. looks old, you know? Um, <laughs> they are so old. But, you know, they're surprisingly reliable and robust. And mm. some of them, I think it's about 30% of the fleet got upgraded to turboprop engines, which are obviously yeah. much easier to maintain and more efficient or more powerful. But, uh, mm. you know, two I mean, thirds of them still fly on the original engines. It's uh, it's amazing, really. Mm. I mean, we also in Van Nuys had um, Clay Lacey's DC free in the United livery. So yeah, I've, there's there's some about. I know that one is just um, I don't know if it flies anymore, but that one is definitely more of a showpiece than being used yeah. for passengers. But I think there's a few just, places that um, you know you can go and kind of book a sightseeing yeah. flight. You know, a bit of an enthusiast flight, and uh, it's firmly on my bucket list right now mm. <laughs> to do exactly it's, that. I think they're great. Yeah, definitely. An interesting one. And I think it's it's probably the case um, with a lot of these things, you know, back then these things weren't built complexly. Um, no. So there's not that much that can break. Whereas, you know, with these new complex aircraft, this can break or this has a limit and... Um, there's no fly-by-wire. There's no computer. Yeah. You know, you do it yourself. It's just I, pure good old mechanics. Same reason I, I love think, a good old Mini to drive, you know. Yeah. I'd uh, quite happily fly in one of these, I think. <laughs> I think the planes being built today won't be around in an equivalent period time. of time. No, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Mm. Although we are still stuck with the same 737 we were flying 70 years ago. So uh, it's not circling the same back one. there. <laughs> it's not the same one. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Mm. Anyway, I think, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to get off my Boeing bashing again. That's quite enough of that. <laughs> Maybe and put I a think... quick apology in. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll write sorry. you Boeing. I'm very sorry. <laughs> anyway, I think we ought to leave it there for today. We do hope you enjoyed our podcast and as usual we welcome any welcome any feedback at podcast at simpleflying.com for more great content you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or you can find us on social media simply search for simple flying if you enjoyed this podcast please do leave us a rating on your favorite podcast player thanks for listening bye